podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommies and this time at last, um, it feels like it's been forever but we've just won, we've just won and we haven't just won any old game, we've won the derby and I think I said this on Raw the other day, one thing that was worrying me most about this derby was, it, apart from it being the, the most worried I've been about a derby in years, was it could have been like the last derby for years as well because the way things are going, you know, they might not be back in the top flight so I thought the idea of them like happily languishing in the championship and then laughing every time they see us thinking, ah, we're the we're the current champions of, of Merseyside, we beat you last, that kind of stuff, I was just dreading it but um didn't happen, whether they go down or not might still happen but we won and I think it was it was a good win in so many different ways because I think um first of all we had a good crowd around field. Second of all, we had loads of players back. But third of all, we won and it was the derby. So, you know, we were all on a high from it. But um maybe that's my just my view anyway. But I'm with Jay Reed today and Jay, you you must have felt the same afterwards. It's like regardless even of the performance and all the rest of it, it's just such a relief to beat them and to win a game. Yeah, that was as you said, it was a really feared game. Um I didn't enjoy Monday and work and <laughs> <laughs> the, the Blues were very confident and I, and I basically had the impression it was 1-0 either way in my mind that's what I said like yeah. one of us is going to turn up and, and sneak it one way or the other 1-0 um, but yeah like as I, as I said on Twitter that that performance was the bare minimum now that's required for the rest of the season um, given what's gone before and that goes for the for the people on the pitch and the people off the pitch in terms of the fans. Like, I, I say it coming out the ground, like that's the best atmosphere we've had since Barcelona. Um, and probably hard to disagree in terms of, you know, people who go the match regularly will know like the atmosphere can be quite flat at times. And maybe we've just become too self-indulgent and expect too much. But when, when we perform off the pitch in terms of what we do in the crowd and we make a, a vociferous atmosphere we make it vocal we make it loud and we make it you know a hostile place to come like you know other fan groups will mock and say the Anfield atmosphere is a myth because you know if you're Bournemouth and you're rocking up on a Saturday afternoon at half 12 then the atmosphere is going to be a bit poo but if you're Real Madrid or Barcelona comes to town the atmosphere is totally different if it's a derby when Everton are so bad that they make us look really good <laughs> um, yeah you know, we are going to get up for it. As you said, it could potentially be the last derby. It got to the point where we were mocking them, singing, going down, like going mm. down. Yes, you are. You're playing QPR. They all come out the repertoire. Rafa Benitez, Dibok Origi, they were all there. Um, and it was a fun atmosphere to be in. It felt comfortable. Like once we got our noses in front, it, it did just become 
you know, a little bit more settled, especially when that second goal went in. You know, it did then a weight off the shoulders and it wasn't just for the fans, it was also the players on the pitch. You, you could see the confidence was starting to come back and, you know, tricks were being tried, like the confidence to take the ball in tight positions and run with it. And hopefully, you know, as I said, it's the bare minimum required for us as fans to now get behind this team and try and push them on because we know we can make a difference. But also on the pitch, that that desire, I, the, no player there on the pitch in the red shirt had a bad game. I, there was players who didn't have a great game, of course there is, but if you've gone out there and you've given you know, maximum effort and everyone can see that you're trying and whether you're on the pitch for 65 minutes or 10 minutes or the whole 90 everyone at some point was putting a shift in and that is all we require now. If we are going to get anything else of this season, whether it be, you know, a fabled top four finish or whether it be a cup run in the Champions League, we need to have that performance on and off the field for me. Yeah, yeah. And I think that thing about putting a shift in, that you can't underestimate that and that does apply to the fans, I think. Um, it's all too easy to kind of end up at a game and you see people going and it's almost like um, like they go in the cinema and they're just waiting for something to entertain them, you know, waiting for something to happen. But this isn't going the cinema, it's going the game. You're lucky to be going if you're there and you've got to play a part in it and especially on a night like that. And I think the other thing about the other, the, the two things that reminded me of Barcelona in a way was the way we were playing the atmosphere, but also the shouts for Divock Origi because, of course, I know it's not just Barcelona he's, uh, he's famous for, but the, I think in a way as well, hearing those shouts, I started to think to myself, you know, in recent weeks, I've been sort of wishing he was on our bench, you know, bring him in. Can he do something? Can he work one of his miracles? But, um, I mean, we didn't, we didn't need him this time. And part of the reason we didn't need him is, was because finally, um, after struggling for a while, maybe maybe trying to settle in, not coming in any t- anything like at the best time to join a new club. Um, Cody Gappo got his first goal, and um, I mean, the more I watch the replays of his celebration afterwards, the more you see just how not I don't know, not just delighted with it, but sort of relieved. I mean, it was just a massive thing for him, and hopefully that's like uh, that's like the floodgates are going to open for him now because that that that's what he needed didn't he more than anything he just needed that first goal yeah it was like you know it was dragging on in terms of like sort of the Darwin Nunes territory where you know people were judging a player far 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 too quickly like even now Darwin's getting you know harsh critics because maybe the goals aren't flying in for him but as you say as Liverpool fans like it Genuine, honest Liverpool fans only ask for genuine, honest players. Like, yeah, yeah. If you if you put a hundred percent in on, in the shirt, and you know, as long as you're willing to keep trying and trying, what what we don't want to see is people hide. We don't want to see, you know, you might try a, a, a shot and it and it scuffs wide, and then all of a sudden the next time you're in a position, you, you're passing it or you're hesitating on the ball and you, you're looking for help. You you want to see you you keep on trying and. That was that was the best I've seen from obviously from Gakpo. Once he got the goal as well, like again the confidence oozed through him. He was happy to take the ball in deeper positions and and carry it twenty thirty yards. And yeah, like with Nunes again, I felt he he just needed the goal just for himself because you know like it was a big occasion and it obviously he rose to the occasion in terms of setting up the assist and he did look a, a threat for probably fifty five sixty minutes. That looked like he did sort of run out of gas a little bit um, but he's trying and that's all we're asking for he, he's he's willing to put himself out there and you know 
one of these days, one of them overhead kicks is going to go flying into the top corner. I don't know when. I don't know how far out it'll be. I don't know if it'll be relevant in the game, but he did try it again this time and Gakpo nearly got on the end of it with a header. But one of these days, he's, he's going to miss a, a monster of a goal. And, you know, again, he, he's he's doing enough for me. There'll always be, you know, harsh critics of players. But, you know, if you're really a genuine Liverpool fan and you're writing players off after half a dozen games or half a dozen months at the club then genuinely I don't think you really understand what we're doing here no I, I don't think I've ever seen Darwin's head go down you know you get that with players and even like the best Liverpool players have bad games and the heads will go down for a bit and maybe that's the job for the captain or the teammates just to kind of G him up again or the manager or even the, the crowd you know G him up again go and have another go but Darwin every time he has an effort that misses he kind of like sort of, he has a laugh about it in a kind of you know, not in a sort of nonchalant way, but he's like, "Oh, right, I'll have another go," and he just and he and he just keeps coming back and keeps coming back, and you know that their attitude is going to stand him in good stead eventually, as you say, one of the overhead kicks or something else, and um, you almost forget how new he is as well because he's not the newest lad up front, but he is new, you know, and he still needs time to settle in. We were just, you know, we were so blessed with Luis Diaz a year ago when he came in and just basically straight away. Um, was it a year ago? Feels like forever now. But you know, he just comes, came straight in, straight away, no issues, no messing about. Knew what his place was in the team, knew what his role was. Um, got an understanding of what his teammates did so quickly that it was like he'd been playing with us all season easily. Yet um, that isn't something you can expect all the time. So I, you know, I think one blessing, if you like, of this season being almost a write-off in a way is that we've got. We've got some space to give these players the chance to get settled in, but saying it's a write-off. I mean, we were talking. I think, I think we were talking last week actually off off air, weren't we, about the um, about the situation with the table? And although you know you're asking a lot for us to kind of get into that top four, and we shouldn't be starting to talk about such things yet after just one win. But I mean, looking at the table, we're not that far off Newcastle, who've um, played the game more than us, and I know we've got them next. But you know, we it's sort of. It's, it's just how football gets, isn't it? That it's almost like this sort of goldfish bowl thing where you kind of, everything revolves around. It's all or nothing in the next game. I mean, Sky don't help. They're always big. Every, every weekend they can. It's like title decider weekend. And then next weekend they'll have the same one again. Weekend after the same again. But this to me is, um, you know, if we can just go about our job quietly, go about our business quietly, maybe, maybe, maybe that top four isn't totally out of the question. And that's, that's a lot. That's crazy considering how bad we felt a week ago. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, I mean, I think I said last week tonight it was the next two weeks, four games or so, something like that was, was pretty much boom or bust um, for our season. And 
obviously you looked at that way. We had the derby and then Newcastle upcoming on Saturday. If you can, you know, take something from both of them games, you know, realistically at the time, we're probably thinking maybe a draw and a win. Yeah, given, four points would be a massive given the thing. Yeah. Newcastle like in. I know they're not doing great at the moment. They've only won one in five or one in six, but they're at the end of the table where we want to be. Um, and obviously we we would have obviously loved to have won the derby, which we did. And then we got Madrid on the horizon um, early next week. And then we go to Palace the following Saturday night. Um, if you could have come through the three league games, Palace, Newcastle, Everton, with seven points, that would have been a really good return. And hopefully from the Madrid game, you're going in with a lead. Um, you know, that then would have been pretty much an ideal scenario for what we've been producing of late we couldn't have asked for any more than that obviously you would in terms of four wins but being realistic um, however at the other you know instances occurred where you maybe drew or lost a derby you go to Newcastle and you get a defeat and then Madrid come to Anfield and turn you over and you maybe go to Palace and get a draw and you're looking at maybe one or two points from the three games and the Champions League tie is over then you're pretty much writing the season off what it's done is it's given us a glimmer of hope and as you mentioned before, we'll get into it, there's, there's signs with players in the squad coming back. Um, you know, even today, just before we started, we seen Luis Diaz out on the training pitch, only running, but albeit, it's a positive sign. I, we've we've missed the likes of Luis Diaz. Um, you know, Diogo Jota made his return night. Bobby Firmino, I didn't think he'd be back the other night, but there he was. Virgil was on the bench as well. You know, it's, it's players who have been really big players for us, some of them longer than others. But they're that big, they have an impact that obviously they will be missed. If you you look at Arsenal at the moment, and this will take us back to a, a tweet that we got the other day um, regarding the pod last week where we'll someone this, yeah. someone wasn't happen, happy about my comments regarding Arsenal in terms of, you know, I was praising them for what they were doing. Well, Okay, they've not won anything yet, but my point being, they're currently at the top end of the table. All right, they were replaced last night by Manchester City, but they do have a game in hand to go back on top. But they were strengthening, and that's something that we've not done. And people might say, well, we, we couldn't do that with our ownership, but why not? And that is, that's the frustration for, for sections of the Liverpool fan base that all we were asking for was a little bit more. You know, hand in the pocket, can we have another player or two each transfer window? And these trophies that we got so close to last season and we've been so close to over recent times might have just been achieved because no matter what you say, I think we've we've been left a bit shortchanged for for the quality of player we've got in this squad. We should have had maybe two or three more trophies in the bank. And we I'll always believe that and others will disagree and just say you've got to enjoy what we've got and we're doing the best with the circumstances but we were raised on well for myself I was raised on stories of how successful Liverpool were and you, you've seen those glory days yeah, and you yeah. know when you're at the top you just want to maintain it you don't want to see you know second, third, fourth place because you don't get you know any memories or medals for that you just get oh you, you took part that season you want these memories of going to cup finals and lifting trophies and parades around the city that's what makes you proud to be a Liverpool fan like we mock Everton you know since 1995 they haven't won a trophy and it's it hurts them like they'll, they, they won't tell you but it does hurt them like 
they they would love to have the parades around the trophy. Like they were parading last season almost because they stayed up. They invaded the pitch because they just about stayed up. Yeah, I that's the sort of scenes you see at a cup final if if your team has just won the impossible. So you know that that's. That's what I was trying to get at last week, and some people will disagree. And you know, everyone's entitled to an opinion. But I think you know where we are. We, we're just slightly a bit shortchanged. That's all. Yeah, I'm just thinking as well. Like 1995, it's not where are we now? 2023. A couple more years, it's going to be like a milestone year. And I wonder if, like, I wonder if we can get like the council to kind of stick some kind of um, sort of statue or something up somewhere in town, you know, to kind of commemorate all those years without a trophy. Because you know, we've got to mark it somehow, haven't you? Um, I'm sure, you know. And then they'll have something. They'll have something. They'll have something to be proud of. Um, maybe put it outside Everton too. Uh, Everton too. Which was the really cleverly named mm-hmm. football shop, uh, souvenir shop, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and the idea, that idea actually came from Tony Barrett, I think, had written an article. Um, and he was quite sarcastically saying that Everton will probably open in a shop in Liverpool one called Everton two. And next thing you know, that's what they do. And it's this little, quiet little shop, isn't it? Next to one of Liverpool's many stores. And he's, I'm sounding a bit boastful here, but I mean, that's the thing. It, we we've become such a much bigger club than them while they've sat around sat around watching us and that takes me really back to this tweet a little bit of what was said because I didn't get to reply to it I, when I saw it I just meant to reply then other things happened um and I think the, the gist of the tweet was um I mean I get that I mean yeah praising Arsenal I actually think you've they might not have won anything yet, but if you just wait till the end of the season before you praise anyone for what they did that season or you make any comments or comparisons or try and, you know, look for answers for, of your own problems, if you wait till the end of the season for that, then it's already too late, it's done. And that, that was one of the things that got to me a little bit about that comment. I mean, I get where it's coming from. No issue with people having opinions, but to me, every single fan who's seen us struggle this last few months wants it to be better and wants to fix it. And we aren't most of us aren't in a position to do anything whatsoever about it but if we can we will um, at least come up with suggestions and that's what I think a lot of us have done and you sort of have to look at what other people are doing right and what other people are doing wrong what you're doing right what you're doing wrong and comparisons to the 70s and 80s as was mentioned they're still comparisons worth having because there was still stuff done then that could be applied today still attitudes that could be applied today and then I think the other part to it was um saying that we shouldn't compare to the 70s and 80s because back then we didn't have to compete with oligarchs and sovereign wealth funds or mad billionaires then yeah okay I get that but if what, what you're basically saying then is there's nothing we can do it's all out of our control it's out of our hands let's blame it all on the people with all the money who run the game and let these people with all the money have the money and in reality You've, you've got to do what you can. You've got to fix what you can fix. If you just sit around blaming everybody else for all your ills, you're Everson. You know, and that's what, that's what hit me with that, which, you know, everyone who's been trying to come up with answers is hopefully hearts in the right place. I think some people get a bit too over the top and get totally anti FSG. You know, I'd rather have FSG than, than some owners we could have, but, also, you know, if FSG are the kind of people who should be running our club, not one person running it then will have any problem with people, you know, just saying, let's try something else. And I think, you know, we've said recently about if there isn't extra money to go in, we need to know what money's going in. You know, we need to plan around what we've got, you know, cut our cloth accordingly. And it feels like we haven't done that the last few years. We've gone out and bought big players 
and then we, we've we've lost people behind. But yeah, I think that 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 thing on Twitter was the, the thing that got to me more than anything was, you know, we've got to, we've got to, you've got to fix what you can fix. You've got to look for answers to what you can change and work on that. And sometimes it's not one big thing, is it? It's little things. And you and I have seen Everton for the decades now, just basically sitting there and complaining about everything that we do as they sit there and literally sit in our shadow and the more they do it the more they're going into our shadow and the last thing we should do as Liverpool fans is let ourselves go down that path just being in the shadow of clubs who've got billionaire oil rich owners and so on yeah it's it's a different game now like oh you know, back in the day of the 70s and 80s, there was clubs who had more money than others because, you know, it, it, them clubs at the time would tend to be, you know, ran by local businessmen like Liverpool, where, you know, existing before the Premier League. Some people won't actually believe that, but we did. Um, Liverpool didn't buy the first million pound footballer or the second, you know. No, when, you know, we had David Moores for years as a, you know, a local businessman and, you know, he, he done well for himself personally and then you know invested in Liverpool what he could up to a point of where he then literally could not compete financially anymore with with the game because as as time's gone on in the introduction of the Premier League the, the money within English football has rocketed and it's become a business for, for, for the most part um, you know the, the will have always been clubs in the 70s and 80s and the early 90s who had more money than others Jack Walker for, for Blackburn for example through a lot of money into Blackburn. They won one league trophy out of it, and you know people could point at look at look at that and say, well, you know, he bankrolled that, and just because it was in the nineties, and you know, people have very short memories and what goes on in the football game, and you know, something that happened in the early two thousand seems like a lifetime ago to many others. It still went on, and it obviously in this day and age right now, it's got to a complete extreme where you have got countries controlling clubs and you know mm-hmm. bankrolling them and you know the you've only got to look at you know the, the reaction for example of Pep Guardiola with the questions he's been interrogated with not even like intensely but you know put to him because he is he's the face of Manchester City look much as we were saying about Jürgen Klopp last week where right? he's got to front a certain amount of the, the questions Pep has been put in that position as Manchester City's face and he's got to front it up and he, yeah. he doesn't like it um, because the reality is he knows exactly what's going on but you've still got that situation happening it's just obviously on a mass scale now compared to what it is and I think as you rightly said people people are quite would be quite happy to keep FSG as owners if they were just willing to be a little bit more you know, willing to spend a bit more cash in, in the club. And I think that the anger now comes from, as we've touched on in previous podcasts, where you look at the Deloitte Money League and Liverpool Affair, and they're making huge amounts of money. And we've not just developed in one year into this giant of a club. We've we've always been a big club. With, with Manchester United, we are the two biggest clubs in the country with you know, the Madrid and Barcelona and a few Italian clubs and whatever, we're, we're easily within the top six or seven clubs in the world. And we will always be that, unless, you know, we did end up like Everton, which is highly unlikely. But we've always made money, especially recently when we've had Jürgen Klopp and we've been successful. And that is all people 
probably wanted was just a little bit more cash to spend and you know again I'm going to reference Arsenal we look at what Arsenal became under Arsene Wenger was they were just happy to be in the Champions League every year it didn't yeah. matter if they finished third or fourth it was just we've got this you know we, we keep getting in the Champions League the cash keeps coming in and we're just happy to be there we'll go out in the quarterfinals we'll maybe pick up an FA Cup or two and for for the time that 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 was sustainable and it kept a certain section of the families happy but then it also became you know quite frustrating as people were overtaking them the likes of Liverpool become resurgence again you know Chelsea flew past them Manchester City came onto the scene with the big books and you know even Tottenham their neighbours for the time were largely ahead of them and they had a few years out of Europe I don't I don't think they're even in Europe this season. I could be wrong on that. I can't remember off the top of my head. But they've been out the Champions League for a few years now. And any Arsenal fan would say that's where they want to be. They don't want to be Thursday nights playing, you know, with all due respect, clubs from small European countries with, you know, 10,000-seater stadiums and rolling out reserve teams. They want to be on the big stage because they also are a huge club. And they have now propelled themselves with financial backing in recent times you know backing the manager bringing in players okay some of them have been you know maybe a bit more expensive than than what maybe others might look at but they've given the manager every opportunity and they've backed him in every single window to get to where they are and you know they may go on to win the league this season I don't believe they will I just don't think they have enough experience but you can put your money on the fact that next season they'll be back again they're not going to lose many players they might lose the odd one or two but you've got a young enough hungry squad who will learn from this experience this season and they will come back and we've now got to say well where we were competing with Manchester City for the last four or five years the likelihood is Arsenal are now going to be a competitor Chelsea (laughs) may get themselves in order and will become competitive again Manchester United as much as we hate to say it, are back on the rise. Yeah. You know, who knows what Newcastle are going to do if if Spurs can sort themselves out. They'll at least be competitive to a point and standing still, as we've always said, is going backwards and that's what we just don't want to see. Like, we're just asking for a little bit more, you know, to make us competitive because we have got some of the best players in the world in their positions and to see them go out there and not be not be supporting what they've got around them and you know if they get injured you're sort of scratching at the bones and you're looking around thinking oh do we do we have to you know put 37 year old James Milner with all due respect back into the starting lineup? we we shouldn't be doing that but you know the, the, the fact that there's a conversation that James Milner is going to get another contract potentially at the end of the season for me as much as he's a good lad, obviously he he brings a lot to the team in terms of his personality and stuff. He shouldn't be relied on as a Liverpool player where we want to be. And you know, others will disagree with that. But you're looking at a guy who's 37 years of age. He's had a glorious career, but he's got a hell of a lot of miles on his legs. And you know, we we want to compete for the big big things we shouldn't be relying on a fella like him and that, that, I'm not digging just him out there's, there's other players in the squad do we yeah, yeah. we know just probably aren't up to the standard that we require um, 
and that that's all we're asking for is the opportunity to to compete because if you're not competing then you are just becoming another number like heaven yeah and that's interesting actually the, the teams you were naming there like there were six teams as well as us six teams that all want never mind the league all want top four at the very very least makes you wonder why um, this Super League thing first came up doesn't it because that's the thing there, is, there aren't enough places there's four places in the Champions League maybe five if um, if one of you wins it because nowadays you can have five from one country they never used to allow that as Everton um, will remember from when we won in Istanbul and they nearly lost their place because of us um, it's you know it, it's it's how it is it's, it's a massive battle and I think Another thing that you can say is a positive for Arsenal that, that was a negative for us is that early on in the season, they were kind of like running away with the league. And you know that, you know, when you sit back easy in hindsight as well, you know that, you know, teams have good runs and then they, they go off the boil, you know, or they, they start off off the boil, then they'll, they'll have a good run. It's kind of what happens in the game over and over again. But the thing is, that was kind of like the yardstick for us. So they were right up there and the gap from us to them was massive. And we're thinking, how the hell are we going to catch up to them, let alone the team that we've been sort of sparring with this last few years and as it is now um, looking at it the team that's top of the table has lost four games which has kind of become unheard of in recent times um, you know it's February we're kind of behind on fixtures as well for where we are at this stage of the season and for a team at the top to have already lost four that's kind of unusual you know United in third they've lost five the weird one is uh, Newcastle have only lost one but they've drawn 11 but you know as you, as you were talking then actually just um, sort of Slight change of subject, but it's worth it's worth mentioning. It just came up on my phone, and it, I think it actually happened. It was announced while we first sort of started recording. Liverpool and Everton charged over mass confrontation in Merseyside derby. Um, the FA have said that both clubs failed to ensure that their players conducted themselves in an orderly fashion and or refrained from provocative behaviour. And the two clubs have got until the 20th of February to respond. Um, provocative behaviour? That is um, so laughing <laughs> at Jordan Pickford. I mean, I know he's England's goalkeeper, but come on, that's not provocative, is it? Not not in the way they're saying. Is, is, is that what they're referring to? Um, you know, some of, some of the things we said, because if, if that's where they're going with this, <laughs> you know... I see the statement, uh, a tweet put out, you know, from Merseyside Police saying on on the eve of the derby that, you know, certain chants will be, you know, dealt with yeah, yeah. To, to one form or another. And it, it's not, it's, you know, there's, there's there's pictures doing the rounds on social media. You don't have to go far to look if, you know, like idiots in the, in the Everton end, you know, doing what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't want to dig up what they did. Um, it's not nice and it's unsavoury and it'll it'll continue because, you know, nothing gets done about it. And, you know, we go to Newcastle this weekend. I don't know what the reaction will be from Newcastle fans, but, you know, you look down our fixture list, we've got Manchester United coming to Anfield in a few weeks. Yeah, You can bet your bottom dollar there will be certain sections of the Manchester fan base Manchester United fan base who direct certain chants towards Liverpool fans that are derogatory the mocking you know instance where people lost their lives and will anything be done about it? Absolutely nothing because it happens week in week out and you know you're not trying to play tiff for tat here and it's just frustrating 
Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Happens, yeah, happens far too often. There is a situation that arises every week and nothing gets done about it. You know, we, we played Chelsea and there is a warning for Liverpool fans constantly banded around the, the ground about homophobic chatting and I can honestly say I was there the other week, didn't hear anything. Um, and, you know, there'll be a, a game against Manchester City soon at the Etihad and I think there was a, there was a report um, a few days ago that was saying you know that there's going to be a special operation in place you know to ensure you know certain things don't happen and you know it it seems to be you know Liverpool fans are, are, are targeted for you know certain games but you know when it when it happens at like a lesser level women so you know I'm booking a team to Fulham or you know Watford or you know Sheffield United come to to Anfield at any time and and those things are heard a, a blind ear and a blind eye is turned to it and that is the real frustrating thing because it happens week in week out and nothing gets done about it but then when there may be a, a bigger high profile game comes to fruition all of a sudden everybody gets on the high horse and then wants to point the fingers and yeah the the derogatory comments and you know provocative things being said well you know the way Everton conducted themselves the other night on the pitch as well you know that they're, they're hardly not to be blamed for anything there well the, there's always like a what aboutery thing that you get and I'm sick of it because it's not right to sing the things that you sing and say the things that you say about people who died right that that and anyone who thinks that's defensible is not really defensible in themselves I don't think you cannot go around saying those things and say it's okay and rather than sort of holding your hands up and saying right I wish my fellow fans didn't do that or say that the answer is always always what about this what about that so with United fans they'll talk about stuff that was said about a disaster of theirs and it was wrong and it should never have been said and there was all sorts of chanting and things that went on which I I don't hear anymore about about Munich and it was wrong then people shouldn't have done it then but they did but nowadays it doesn't happen and whether they did or not what you're saying that that it was actually if you're saying it's okay to have a go about disasters that's happened to this club because people had a go at disasters relating to your club then what you're basically saying is you're, you're actually just condoning 
all of it rather than just and it, it's just wrong it's wrong to, to sing those songs and to make those chants and, and, and put those banners in place and, and if there is the odd person at your club that's doing it you should be condemning them rather than trying to say well what about you lot and, and then tiring your whole the whole fan base of another club with the the brush that just basically belongs to the banner of one person and I saw it with Everton fans there was a sort of story it was probably on the Echo and then the comments underneath it one after the other was um what about the Style Bucharest banner, which is a banner that appeared with Liverpool fans years ago, and it was a dig at them because they didn't make it into the European Cup final in 1986, and they believed they would have been winning the European Cup that year. Instead, um, no English club could play in Europe that year, and in the end, Style Bucharest won the European Cup, which, you know, again, the banner was done to provoke them, and it was wrong. But it wasn't like the whole fan base doing it. Shouldn't have been done, you know. And I, again, it just doesn't happen. And there's just, there's like a handful of fans who think this is all a bit of banter and a bit of a laugh. But, you know, on mass, it's not. And it needs to stop. But like you say, I just don't expect it will. And it is interesting. Yeah, the FA are, are kicking off because Andy Robertson laughed at their goalkeeper and their fan, their, their other players. I mean, their goalkeeper was laughing as well, but then the rest of them all started kicking off about it because, you know, <laughs> just I suppose it's passion. It's heated passion, whatever. Um, I doubt anyone was hurt, but the, the fact that that's the, the, the takeaway that you've got from that says a lot about the FA. Um, and it's not just the FA. Look at UEFA. So this week as well, we, we, we weren't going to mention this, actually. We just, there's so much going on, but... Um, the report on Paris got revealed, although it didn't get revealed until it got leaked into the papers, which, again, it's just a lack of... Um, there's just no respect for fans, no respect for people, genuine people who want to go to a match and have a great time with the mates, with the family, whether it's in this club, in this country, in your own in your own ground, away somewhere else in the country, in a neutral venue abroad, whatever. The authorities who run this game do not care about the fans. It's just about money. Yeah. Um, and you know there was. Let me just find the exact wording of what um, was was put out there. Um, this was taken from Sky Sports, and it was obviously taken from the leaked report. Yeah, UEFA have again apologised to Liverpool and said a special refund scheme for fans will be announced separately. So, you know what did what did you do? Try and try and pay pay us off for the for the situation that we were were put in um, you know for the for the harm for the discomfort for the personal emotional and mental trauma you know I, I, yeah I'd have your ticket money back and it'll all be forgotten yeah. about because you know if you look at you know certain other clubs like they can just buy their way out of anything um, and UEFA being UEFA you know have not had any sort of financial dodginess in their career um, oh no, no. so you know, ju- just that alone just made me laugh. And you know, when I when I sent it to a few people who went to Paris, we went, "Yeah, what are we going to get back?" A few buttons, literally, was the reply. Um, and that is the sort of approach that, like, they be- they come across. It's not like you know, people will be, you know, punished and people will be, you know, held responsible for their actions and the decisions that made that led to such a fiasco on that night. Um. You know, when it, it it smacks of what happened, you know, in, in 1989 again, like with Hillsborough, that, you know, certain people who everybody knows are responsible for, for the atrocious actions of that day are still not being brought to justice and being held responsible. And, 
you know, it, for the time being, there, there was an ideal mindset that, you know, let's just blame the fans because they're an easy target. There's so many of them. They're not going to, you know, be that much of an issue. We can just point the finger at them. And if it does go wrong, then that's, then that's that because, you know, the fans are just a byproduct of the game. I, we want to see, you know, the glitter, the glamour, the money, the notes, the everything else that goes with it. And they just happen to be on the side of the pitch who, who make some noise and some colour and whatever else. Like, it, 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 it's it's part of you that makes you feel like you are falling out of love with the game. Um, and it, 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 it's hard to admit, like, but football is going in a direction for me where you know we're being priced out of games like the working class person you know we, we live in the north of England and you know not make too no no bones about it it's harder to live in the north of England than it is to live in the south financially it's so much disparity um you know we're 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 clearly second class citizens to those who live in you know, Westminster and, and are deemed responsible for making decisions for running this country. And, you know, the price of football tickets alone is is extortionate. And then you've got to add in, you know, like the demand, as I've said before in the past, like new kits, there's free kits. There's, there's a fourth this year because LeBron James has released a, a special jersey. And, you know, kids will be putting pressure on parents to try and, you know, get this stuff and and training gear it, and coats and all the yeah, other the, shit you know there's a new training kit just come out literally a white grey and red one it's lovely but I won't be paying the price <laughs> for it I, I I have I have a lot more you know liking for for training stuff than I do for you know the actual match day things I think it just fits a bit better and kind of looks a bit more stylish that's just me personally but mm-hmm. the price you pay for it you might just think well I might just pick up the odd t-shirts and shorts maybe even you know, towards the end of the season when the club are offering some sort of sale or promotion where, you know, you're not, you don't feel like, you know, paying £50 for a training top is highly extortionate where, you know, you might pick it up for £30 and you think, well, I've kind of got myself a little bit of a bargain there, but in reality, it's not, um, you know, for the price that they're made for. But as you say, we we are, we're second-class citizens and, it, and it's easy to point the finger always of football fans and I don't think that'll ever change especially in the UK you know like cricket and rugby fans do whatever you want you know turn up in fancy dress drink to your heart's content cause as much raucous as you want but you know if a football fan even dares to enter in sight of the pitch with a drink you know you're handled upon by by stewards and, and police and whatever else so yeah yeah it, it, it it's a brush that we've will be tired with forever I think as football fans yeah yeah it is, it is it's um, yeah I mean you go the opera you don't get treated like you do going the match I'm sure I mean I'm not I don't to be honest I don't go the opera so I might be wrong maybe when you go the opera you're being banned from having drinks within sight of the stage and um, you know you sort of treated like shit on your way through and um, expected to sort of not complain about it and when anything goes wrong you know, be prepared to be blamed for it. Maybe that's what happens in opera as well. I wouldn't know. I don't go. I mean, that thing about giving money back as well. I mean, 
To be fair, that is going to be a lot of money for everyone who does get a refund because it was a lot of money for the fucking tickets in the first place, wasn't it? So, but it's not, it's not a, not a patch on, um, if you wanted to put financial figures on what that was like for people, especially anyone who'd been through it before in 1989 or people who'd maybe not been through it before, but had felt the sort of effects of that by listening to other stories from people. Um, like from your point of view, you, you weren't there in 1989, you weren't around in 1989, but you, you've got a genuine feeling of what it must have been like that, that then will all be flooding straight back into your head when you're going through this. And I can't help but think that if we were sort of like, I'm sure some of our, our listeners overseas, certainly in the US will be thinking, this is the kind of thing that you'd get a class action together on this and you just sue the arse off UEFA for it and sue the arse off the French authorities for it. It's not so much having the money as, as making them pay for it. And it's not so much paying for it financially. It's paying for it as in really putting a marker down to say, you can't keep doing this because UEFA's budgets are so big that if they refunded everybody for that game, they wouldn't notice. They would not notice. It's time for things to change. And this is kind of leads us back to that stuff about what we want from the owners and stuff. I mean, I mean, one thing I think they fought well for as the owners is to try and level the playing field a little bit more to stop the oligarchs from running the game, stop the oil nations from running the game and make it so that potentially any club can kind of look after itself and, and live within its means. While we're on that subject, I mean, maybe maybe we should look ahead to the next game because, you know, people living within the means and so on. It's that team, Newcastle, who've drawn 11, lost 1, won 10. They're in the top four at the moment. And actually, their form looks really bad. A lot of... A lot of um, Four draws and a win in the last five. Yes, of course. So, more more hope. But, you know, they're only up there. They're only fighting for that place because of the money. But, you know, are we sort of, you know, are we getting them at a good time again? I'm, I'm looking forward to it, to be honest, much more than I would have said I was like a week ago. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs Mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, I think we probably are. Um, what what seems to have struck me with Newcastle this season is they seem very Rafa esque when, you know, we got to like 2007, 2008 with Liverpool where we were quite compact and the emphasis was on, you know, trying to keep a clean sheet. Yeah. Um, especially in Europe. Like it was, you know, you go away from home, one nil, job done. 
Yeah. Um, one all is not seen as a bad result. Um, obviously, you, in the league situation, you, you're dropping two points, but they do seem to have a, a structure about them where, you know, they've got a good goalkeeper now in Nick Pope. They've got a good back line that's been quite settled throughout the season. Um, I'm going off fancy football memory here because I've got a few Newcastle <laughs> defenders in here, but, you know, um, they've got Trippier, Botman, Shah, and Dan Byrne at left back. So, for the whole part of the season, I think they've, they've pretty much all been available. They might have had an odd change here or there. Um, and then, you know, going forward from that, um, Bruno Gamerez, who is actually going to be missing for this game because he, he got sent off a few weeks ago and this is the last game of the suspension, um, has been key for them. You know, a midfielder that probably would have been ideal for us last January, but, you know, we decided not to do so. Um Added in, in with that, you know, Callum Wilson coming in and announced that Isaac Ladd has started to return. St. Maximum, everyone knows the potential dangers of him. Um, Miguel Ambaron has come to life in the last nine months, really. Um, they've got players who can harm you. However, on our day, if you put their 11 against our 11, you know, even even the lads that we, we put on the pitch during the night for the derby, you would always say, We've got more there. Like we've got the potential to keep clean sheets. We have proved it in recent weeks, albeit you know Everton didn't come and offer much, but you've still got to keep out the chances. Okay, they hit the post. That was it. Um, Chelsea a few weeks ago at Anfield, we kept demos, and th- there has been times when we've shipped goals away from home has been a problem. I think we've shipped three goals in our last three away appearances: Brentford, Brighton, and Wolves. So. There is an issue there, the fragility. But going forward, Salah looked like he needed that goal more than anyone. I think in recent weeks, that that touch that he got would have went wide. Gakpo, as I said, revitalised in confidence. And Darwin, as you've said also, his head never goes down. He he is one of these days, he's going to smash a hat-trick and... It might be the worst looking hat trick you've ever seen, or the best looking hat trick you've ever seen. I just don't know what's going to come from him, but you know you're going to get a hundred percent. And you know we've got Jota back, we've got Firmino back. You know the, the forward line all of a sudden looks really healthy. The bench looks like it's strong, and we've got some kid in midfield who's 18 years of age who looks like he's been playing the game for the last six, seven years at yeah. the highest level. It's phenomenal. Yeah, when you see him from a distance. You, and you don't see the kind of baby face and with all due respect you know you forget how young he is you know it's kind of it's it's phenomenal how and how quickly he's got to this level as well and my my big worry with him is that because of the way we are we're going to have to use him too much and we might kind of burn him out so I think Klopp's got to be quite sensible about this as much as the temptation now is to basically stick him as the first name on the team sheet the way he's played that maybe sometimes he's got to just sort of hold him back but you know it doesn't have bode well. If that's what he's like at this stage, what's he going to be like as he gets as he gets older? Um, this is about clean sheets as well. Newcastle they've only conceded thirteen in the league, and they scored thirty five. We've only scored one goal more than them, but we've conceded twenty eight. But that's you know that that back four you mentioned of theirs. I, I imagine that's hardly changed this season. You know, it's been pretty. It will have been pretty consistent as much, you know, as any team can expect to be through a season. Whereas ours. As has been all over the show, and even that that the other night where we restricted Everton to one shot on target, I think, and I think they had six shots in total. So, all, so with, although there is that worry that you think, well, my God, if that one that hit the post had gone an inch the other way, would have gone in, and you know, 
different story. The, the, the fact is that in reality, we, we really sort of restricted them. We stopped them having decent chances. They had one shot on target the whole game, which says a lot. And that, that was with our sort of arguably sort of centre back wise, our sort of third and fourth choice centre backs. Cause I would, I would imagine if everyone's fit that those two wouldn't be starting a game most weeks, you know, and that, that again says a lot about, you know, what we've been through this last few weeks because we've, we've missed key players and, well, that brawl we were talking about, if you watch the sort of footage of it, one of the people who was kind of sort of getting involved and, and sort of calm things down a little bit was the man who's calm as you like, Virgil van Dijk. Um, we didn't get to see him on the pitch technically as such, but oh, it was such a pleasure to see him back involved the night. Yeah, so a small mention again, again for Darwin skipping down with his hood up like he was a, a young scally doing a little runner from something. In in this guys, of course, um, but yeah, just to see him there, like there was a moment where that scuffle, you know, sort of ensued, and, and we 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 were stood obviously towards the back of the cops, so we're a fair distance away from where it happened. We're like, why is no one helping? Why is no one getting involved here? <laughs> and then obviously because we're so far away, you can just see bodies, and you know the stewards were there, and you know coaching staff and whatever and so forth. So. We had no idea actually who was involved in what. Like, I had no idea it was Darwin Nunes running around with his hood up and Costa Simicus <laughs> was down there giving it. Oh, God, yeah, the Costa best could give. Yeah. But when you come home and you've seen the clips and literally Virgil is manhandling people, like, <laughs> you, you move out the way, young boy. Uh, you sw- you step aside there, Mr. Awobi. Um, like, you know, if that's what he can bring just by being on the sideline, it does, you know give you, you know, the, the wet the appetite for, for bringing him back to the pitch. And I think it, you know, we, we, we all probably felt he, he managed himself through the first half of the season because he wanted to get to the World Cup um, with his nation and, and do the best he could. Um, and in that time, he's facilitated the move for Cody Gapel to Liverpool. But then when he come back, he was... You know, there was games when he looked really good and there was a couple of games when he looked questionable and then it was... Was it the Brentford game? He went off for half time, and we've not seen him since. But then we we have looked really suspect, and we, obviously we were poor against Brentford. There's no denying that. That was the game where Gary was it. Gary Neville was on the TV about it, saying, "Oh, look how bad he is! Look, he's even brought him off for half time, really making yeah. out." And he used to say, "No, no, you, you." I can't remember where he was now. He suddenly became a medical expert and said that he's not injured. No, he's not injured. You can tell he's not injured because he was in the dugout. Um, it's for the second half yeah he yeah. was wrong um, but yeah we have we, we have looked vulnerable there's no two ways about it like um, Joel Matip looks a shadow of a player without Virgil next to him I think, I think anyone does anyone's elevated by Virgil van Leijen next to him but um, Joel, Joel Matip especially he just looks so so unsure at times. I think, yeah, when, when he made a mistake, he's got, it's how he reacts to the mistakes, isn't yeah. it? When Virgil's with him, maybe he gets the sort of, you know, the encouragement, don't worry, you know, everyone fucks yeah. up. The safety, safety blanket sort of a thing. And, and this isn't a knock on Joe Gomez, but he just doesn't strike it as a leader in terms of, you know, what Virgil van Dijk can do. And he, even Ibu Kanate, like, we've, we've missed him the last few weeks as physicality, but he does seem to have a bit more 
bit more of the leadership qualities about him. And I'm like, I'm not digging out Gomez and I'm not digging out Massive for not being leaders. That it's just a type of personalities that they are that they they perform better when they've got someone next to them, not holding the hand, but you know, just that comfort and arm around the shoulder, the word in the ear. They're just managing them through the games. And yeah, if if we can see Virgil on the pitch at the weekend, would be lovely. Um, but if he's not a hundred percent, then I wouldn't risk him because um, we have got Madrid three days later, and you know that if it's a ninety ninety percent fit Virgil Van Dijk against Newcastle or a hundred percent Virgil Van Dijk against Real Madrid, I would take yeah. the gamble and and say like, well, what can we win this season? And it's the European Cup, so get the hundred percent Virgil Van Dijk on the pitch for the European Cup. I know we would love to progress up the league and. There's, you know, 18, is it 18 games, 19, 17 games left for us to play or yeah. something like that? You know, th- there is opportunities to make that ground up. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But if we do want to, you know, hold this season up and say, well, OK, it was that bad in the league, but we put another set of big ears in the trophy cabinet, it will, you know, be a huge, huge, massive gloss over what's gone on. There's no better way to qualify for next season's Champions League either than actually qualifying as champions of it, I think. I mean, oh, obviously, champions of the league, but that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, I agree. It's like, um, we've just got to be careful. I actually, um, before the game, someone was talk- we were talking before the game, saw Van Dyke was on the bench and thought, um, do we really want him to play in this match? You know, considering what Pickford did to him that time, you know, you're thinking maybe this isn't the game to bring him back if he's still a little bit fragile. And I don't know if he is or he's not. But I also, this Newcastle game, there's going to be, if he doesn't start this game, there's going to be two players playing centre back who know that as soon as Virgil's fit, one of them, at least, you know, at least one of them is going to be dropping out. And something we've spoken about over and over this season is like a lack of competition in places you know when players are out there there's no one breathing down the net there's no one warming up on the touchline that might take the place and you know I think that can get you a better performance out of someone when I was uh, sitting in for Trev for um, we're talking to Jan Jan Mobby he was saying you know the same kind of thing that competition is just massive for players you know you, you are competitive people and when you've got something extra, you know, an extra bit of competition going on, i.e. someone who might take your place on the pitch, then it, it just gets that little bit more out of you. So um that's another massive thing, even if he's not on the pitch, having him on the bench just just does so good. And having him in the dressing room as well, you can tell he's a leader. I've always thought that since he came along, he may all, he may not always have the armband on, but he's basically our captain. You know, with all due respect to Jordan Henderson... I think Van Dyke's the one that everyone listens to on the pitch. He's the one I'd listen to more, and that's nothing against Jordan. Um, actually, quickly on Jordan, I don't know if you've noticed, the, the way people at the game talk about Jordan is totally different to how the people online talk about Jordan. It's like, I'm not saying everyone loves him at the ground, but there's a damn sight more respect for him amongst the match going Reds, I would say. I don't know why. But maybe, maybe it's because when you go to the game, you see a little bit more about the other stuff he does. I think there's a there's a view of of most players when you go to the game that you don't get a, when you see on on TV because mm. you know the the TV follows the ball, um, the TV doesn't have like microphones you know plugged into every player. Like there's microphones around the pitch, but. Yeah. Quite often the sound can be muffled or even, you know, falsified. Um, so you don't necessarily see, you know, what Watson would say is the bigger picture. 
Um, for me personally, I like to sit behind the goal so I can see, you know, what's progressing from that angle, which obviously compared to what you watch on, you know, on the telly, totally which different. is the, the TV cameras from the side. So you can, you can, it's completely different angle. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see, you know, a different outlook on the game. And I, I, I'm not Jordan Henderson's biggest fan, but I do think he is, you know, serviceable in certain games, in certain roles. And the other night, I thought that was like, you know, the old cliche of horses for courses. That was a game for Jordan Henderson. And it wasn't necessarily for what some would say, you know, there's been a lot of pundits or, you know, ex-players calling for Jordan Henderson's leadership qualities to be brought back into Liverpool team because that's what they've missed. It's not necessarily that because I think, as you did say, you know, Van Dijk is probably the natural leader of that team of men mm-hmm. on the t- on the pitch. But Jordan Henderson is a very good leader of the club. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I I will dig him out for... If he, he has this weird obsession with, like, not looking and playing a ball and hoofing it. And then if he's hoofed into a direction where the player might be, he then might have a go at that player and say, well, you should have been there sort of thing, <laughs> yeah. you know. And it can be like, well, hang on a minute, Jordan, have a look, put your foot on the ball. Maybe he's just panicking. Maybe he just knows physically he cannot, you know, do some of the things he used to do five, six years ago. But what he does give you, and I think Jürgen touched on himself, he was a one-man pressing machine for 60 minutes. Yeah. He did lead the press. And there can be times when better football teams will see the opportunity if he leads the press and he's vacated the position on the right side of midfield, Mo Salah can be high up on the right wing or, you know, swart forward position. It can leave an opportunity for teams to target Trent yeah. in a two-on-one situation. However, Everton aren't that good. No, The centre-halves aren't that good. They haven't got the foresight and the technical ability to cut out Jordan Henderson with a pass. So for, for that game, he was perfect for, you know progressing up the pitch and, and sort of forcing the play and given what I said before with what was coming off off the pitch and in the crowd and that that sort of bloodthirsty atmosphere for let's get at these because these are that bad mm-hmm. and let's prove that they're that bad we've been poor recently but let's show that these are awful and it just all worked harmoniously and you know in a game against Manchester City for example Jordan Henderson doing what he did the other night will be sliced to ribbons because Manchester City have got the ability to play the ball around you with two or three passes. They've got technical players who can do it all over the pitch and he will be then left pretty much doing what Jordan Henderson was, uh, Jordan Pickford was doing on that first goal, walking around, looking for the bus that was never <laughs> going to come. Like, it's just, you know, it's what you see at the ground, as you say, is different, but and I just think, you know, at, at that game, that was perfect for him. And there'll be other games in this season that'll be absolutely perfect for Jordan Henderson in that role. Um, and I think that's what we've now got to got to manage with him, is is finding the right times, right opportunities to put him in a position and say, right, go out there and give us 65, 70 minutes of everything that you've got. And then, you know, we'll bring it off and we'll throw someone else on for the last 25, 30 minutes. Um, and... 
and and if that's what we've got to do for the next like, you know couple of years of having Jordan Henderson around, then that would be fine because he is an option to use in that position. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? We've got to make sure we've got the players that can come on for him if that's how we're using him. So if we think we can get a good 60 out of him, let's do that. But we need to then make sure we we aren't turning it into an 80 because we aren't really sure that someone can come on and do 30 in his place. That's that's so vital. And I always remember thinking how Steven Gerrard's career sort of came to an end that this idea of moving him deeper so he could play a whole game, I would have rather had him playing further forward in his old role, but maybe only doing the last half hour of some games, the first hour of others, rather than trying to get him to do 90 in that other position that wasn't kind of him. It wasn't really him. And, I mean, it's worked with other players. I mean, players have gone into kind of deeper roles. I think John Walk, ex, ex-Liverpool striker, by the end of his career was playing centre-back. He kind of worked his way backwards. But, you know, on the whole, it, it to me with Gerard, it didn't work. And I'd rather sort of get an hour out of someone at the best, doing what they do best than, than squeezing too much out of them. And that's why... You know, despite all the happiness about what's gone on, you know, I still don't think everyone's off the hook. You know, the fact is we got into that mess because we didn't plan properly. We didn't have the sort of strength in depth to deal with an injury crisis like we've had. And although it'll soon be forgotten if everyone comes back and everyone's on form and the back, because I mean, let's face it, everyone who played the other night played like they were on form pretty much the whole game. If, you know, it, it, we can't forget that, you know, and that's the thing, you know, we got out, we, if we do get out of jail in a way and we do finish top four this season, we shouldn't see it as that being a vindication of how our transfer policy has been. It should be more of a few, we got away with that and let's sure, make sure we put it right. Um, next game after Newcastle, I don't think we'll be back recording on here before then. So Real Madrid, we sort of touched on it anyway. Um, it feels like, it feels like a massive game in lots of ways, not just because of the fact that you want to sort of win the European Cup eventually. But I don't know. There's, we could probably do do loads on it, but after what's gone on with them, um, I mean, the last game we played them, I don't even remember the game that well. The game was nothing. It, what went on outside was what what mattered then. But the game before that, I remember being in Kiev, which is like a different place now, obviously. But that night was horrific, and I think from a, in a football sense, obviously, that night was was awful. We owe them. It's about time we sorted them out, isn't it? It really is. Um, and as I said earlier on, like the bare minimum of what's required in the crowd, you know, there, there was a there was a campaign um, to make it a flag night, you yeah. know, it, it, in in the stands, and it does create an atmosphere. It, it it's special to see. Like other teams can can try. But let's be honest, no one can, can really replicate Anfield on a European night. No one on these shows, um, definitely. No, no. Like, you, you you looked at, like, you know, the last night Dortmund on some sort of, like, TIFO thing where, you know, they, they, they present, like, a massive banner over um, the yellow wall. And, you know, you go to Eastern European countries, you, you know, the ones that stand, like, Red Star Belgrade, um, you know, the, the flares and the... You know the smoke bombs and the firecrackers. Like obviously, those aren't allowed in in English stadiums, but they create atmospheres. You know, you think of you know the hostile situations in Turkey, where there was a time when Turkish clubs were really good in Europe, and nobody wanted to go there. Fenerbahce, Besiktas, Galatasaray. You know, nobody really wants to come to Anfield on a European night. I, oh well. I have phrased that in a different way. Do you want to come and experience Anfield? Yeah, yeah. But 
if you ask players and let go and ask Lionel Messi, the greatest player of all time in a lot of people's eyes, did you enjoy your last trip <laughs> to Banfield? And he's probably still got nightmares of Andy Robbo running past and scuffing on his hair and laughing at him. <laughs> I, Real Madrid have faced us in the last two times in finals and we've come off worse because, you know, situations out of our control, you know, off the pitch, on the pitch, sorry, in terms of obviously Lodis Carrius and then the situation that happened in Paris. This is an opportunity, this is a leveller now. We can we can go into this tie on Tuesday night and we can we can show them what a real Liverpool team can do. And and what flashes back in my memory is a a time when we played Real Madrid in the Champions League and I think we beat them three or four one and Gerard steamed in at the back post and they like half volleyed one into the top corner and you know, Torres wheeling away and revealing his, his number nine Torres share to the Real Madrid fans because he had just come from Atletico not too long before. You know, mm-hmm. there was those are the times when Real Madrid have come to us and they've they've suffered. And if you look through Real Madrid's history in the Champions League, there is a track record where they will go away from home and they will stutter and they will you know find hostile situations a little bit too much to handle. We've just got to create what we did the other night off off the field. You know, I don't know if there's going to be, you know, bus welcomes. I'm sure there will be. I'm sure there'll be a clamour over the weekend, you know, to to welcome the team in. And, you know, that that's called for in big situations. And this is a big situation because there's a big trophy at the end of it. Yeah. And it, it feels like, I mean, we've got to, these games now, We've got to treat everyone as if it's our last chance to win something this season because it might be. So we've got to we've got to go in and that, as we said about at the start of this about what made the difference. One of the differences on Monday in the derby was um, the twelfth man was up for it more than we've seen for quite a while, maybe. So we need the twelfth man back again for that game, and you know, it's it, it can't be under it can't be underestimated what difference that makes because. Um, you see players panic when they're on the ball because we're on the backs. You see players sort of, you can see the sort of butterflies in the stomach, but they're sort of, it's written all over the faces when you see the footage from in the tunnel before a game. They're getting the kind of nerves for a sort of knockout round that you would normally only get in the final. And that's, that's what we can do to teams. And that's what we've always done to teams when we as fans have been at our best. So I hope we're at our best for that. And hope the team's at our best for that. Um, we were also going to talk about Martin Broughton, but you know what? I think we'll leave him for now. Um, only to say that he was on Granada Reports the other night and he's trying to sell a book. He's written a book. Um, I think it's called, it's something, it's, it's sort of loosely titled on the song, You'll Never Walk Alone, I assume. I've not read it. And I just saw a bit of the interview and I'm sure there's been quotes, but I mean, he's kind of talking now. He was sort of bigged up as like, oh, you know, you help Liverpool get sold. I mean, they managed to find one buyer in the end, one realistic buyer or so they say. So, you know, it wasn't like they did a great job. I mean, in a way they got lucky, but never mind. You got someone. And I think all the other stuff he's trying to say about who might be interested. I mean, he's basically saying that no one wants to buy a club up north, which, right. Thanks, Martin. You really understood things here, didn't you? I get what you're saying, but you know, let's move on. But yeah, that's enough about him because I think right now we're in a good place. And I hope that by the time we come back next, we're still in a good place. Um, 
couple of big games to come, a couple of massive performances needed. But you know what? I've seen it before with Liverpool. We've had crap first halves of seasons and then gone on and had a really good second half and it's been something to remember. So I'm hoping that's what's happened. Jay, thanks for today. Thanks for you for listening. Thanks to Anfield Index for letting us rant like this. We will be back soon. For now, take care. See you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.